0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is, you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is, tell everyone about Book Club.
1: Good morning, Bryson, how's it going?
0: Yeah, not bad, thank you, but not bad. It's uh, the 11th of January, as we record this, and doesn't Christmas seem a dim and distant
1: past? Ooh, I'm ready for another break, mate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I need to start eating more <laughs> chocolate and drinking more Stella.
1: I haven't eaten any carbohydrates or any chocolate now since the 23rd of December. I actually quit eating sugar on the 23rd of December. Where's the fun in that? There's not a lot, if I'm honest. But you'll notice I've sort of got like this really... Sh- My jawline's gone sharper. If-
0: I haven't been looking at your jawline, Johnny, no, and I don't pay any attention to it. But clearly do you, know you not- have. And if that makes you happy, then so be it.
1: That hasn't made me any happier at all. Fair enough. N- not at all. I'm- in fact, I'd go as far as to say I'm much less happy. Right, okay. <laughs> but I do feel a lot physically healthier and more energetic. But life without complex carbs is boring. So do you know where we got to in the last show? I can't remember, no. I can, because I'm more diligent than you. Clearly. Um, part two getting good at recruitment we finished part one and part two is called getting good at recruitment so let's talk about that right what page is that on jonathan let's have a look that's page 36 of 256 how on earth did i ramp for that long
0: i don't know so come on then let's talk about getting good at recruitment here we are
1: so the first thing i talk about in part two of getting good at recruitment is the cost of recruitment
0: do you think clients realize what the cost of recruitment is
1: No idea at all.
0: So I'll tell you something interesting. I had a guy start a job yesterday. Yeah. Uh, Interesting client. I get on with him very well. He's got a nice bit of banter about him. And uh, so that we can send an invoice out, we need to know the candidate started. Yeah. Clearly we're in the middle of COVID, so it's hard to sort of phone reception or whatever. You can't do that. So I sent the guy a text message saying, listen, you know, has Bill started? And he replied with, the Eagle has landed. (laughs) Because he's got a bit of banter about him. this guy. And I said, it only took us two years. And quite literally, he has
1: been recruiting for two years. Wow. How much does that cost him? million pounds? Millions. When you try and explain to clients, remember, some clients do suffer the opportunity cost of not hiring and others don't. Not all companies suffer the opportunity cost. And remember, some of that cost is indirect and some of it is direct. You know, the business always suffers an opportunity cost of not filling a job. The manager doesn't always.
0: Uh, Yeah, often you you get people who are, uh, what's the word, who they sabotage the recruitment process because they know they're going to lose a load of leads. You know, you get that.
1: Yeah, well, we see that a lot. I I know one company in the healthcare sector where he had a vacancy for a very, very, very long time. And I realised after a while that there was a secondary gain to him of not filling that job, notably, and this particular individual had recently undergone a divorce had to buy another house. Frankly, it was pretty clear he was flat broke and he was managing the territory on which he was meant to be recruiting, but no candidate ever quite seemed right. Why? Because actually he was doing all the deals himself and getting the commission and running his team and getting the commission off that.
0: Yeah, seen that. So let's talk about the book though. You've posed the following questions.
1: Yeah. What does a good recruitment campaign look like? How will I know I've done a good recruitment campaign? Most clients never ask themselves things like that. How will I know I've genuinely taken a good view of the market and the candidates available to me? How do you know? And what's fascinating is how little people think about that. How do I know I've presented our organization in the best possible light from an employer branding perspective? How will I know that I've objectively interviewed a candidate that I'm going to meet in relation to an accurate set of specific criteria we're trying to fulfill? How do I know I've intelligently and correctly selected the right recruitment companies and partners? And so I didn't realise how pertinent a set of questions that was, but I think that's a pretty good set of questions to ask yourself before you start hiring.
0: It is. I think you'll find a lot of the time uh,
1: clients can't be bothered. No, clients are largely very lazy.
0: Hmm. In fact, let me rephrase that. Not clients, because I don't think our clients are actually, because we do are quite diligent with them. Organisations collectively. Yeah, you, know, you look at some of the very big brands, some of the people they hire are
1: appalling. And I also think, Michael, that there's a really important thing. You and I live in the world of sales recruitment. I also think there's still, in many respects, a stigma attached in an organization about salespeople. A a very good mate of mine runs a very successful business with his father. And I mean, it's really successful. And he talks about salespeople in an incredibly derogatory way.
0: Even though they're the lifeblood of his organization.
1: But he has a very, very simple view of sales hiring. Really simple. He'll hire people. They pitch up, and if they haven't sold anything after three months, he gets rid of them.
0: Uh, I take it he's not in the IT market?
1: Uh, it's it's quite a high-tech sell. CCTV, sort of on-site security, so there's quite a lot of technology involved. You know, typically paying about 40K for a salary. His top earners are earning about 80 to 100K. Right. But he has a very simple view. You pitch up, yeah. Do you want to have a job? Yeah, great. Okay, cool. Good luck. And he, he has a real cannon fodder view. He said, if they sell stuff, then they sort of get a bit more involved with them and they treat them a bit more right. But he said, literally, the interview is: are you up for it? Yeah, sure. Yeah, right. You've got to get on your own phone. We're not going to give you any leads. Right, fine. There's the market. There's the kit. Right, off you go.
0: Right, okay.
1: And if, that, if they've not sold anything or they don't look like winning a deal in 12 weeks, they go. Okay. And that's their recruitment strategy. And I'll tell you what, they drive nice cars. They've got big houses. Well, let's
0: get back to the book. So what's the average length of the recruitment cycle? the time for it takes for recognition of a recruitment problem to actually having an individual in the role. How many of our clients do you think know that? Uh, quite, I think quite a few, actually. Really? I'm dealing with, yeah, 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 for sure. 100%. You know, pre you and I talking uh, and recording this, we were talking about one of my clients who, who you know I'm very fond of. She lets me know a long time before she's actually recruiting so that I can do all the right bits. I've got a client over in the Northwest that I've done a lot of work with. They know exactly how long it takes. They pre-plan. But bear in mind, they're two very successful companies and very successful people.
1: They are. And a lot of that is that they've got a very good fag packet understanding of the cycle. And what they know is hiring just takes ages.
0: Well, they're more specific than that. They know how long it takes.
1: Do they? Yeah, 100%. absolute 100%.
0: Fair play. And something I talk to when I meet a new prospect is about the timescales. Because I think, I, I think what happens a lot of the time with a lot of the recruiters is they just pitch up to some new prospect, say they've got the best candidates on the planet and it will all be sorted in two weeks. Whereas obviously it's not. And I think the longer you work with a client, the better you can educate them and the better they have as, as understanding. Actually, how many companies out there know the length of the recruitment cycle? Not many, I wouldn't have thought.
1: No, they don't. But it's like I say, like, many don't care.
0: Uh, I don't think it's that. I think, I think many live in Category A tasks, don't they? And all of a sudden Bill's resigned and they've got to try and replace him. And then that's a problem that they haven't given any thought to and then they need to sort it out.
1: Yes, that's a problem. There's no, in emergency, break glass recruitment strategy. If Bill resigns, do X. Mm. Nobody sits there thinking, do you know what? What would we do if so and Bill resigned tomorrow? And that's part of being a successful business, isn't it? Yeah. But does that responsibility lie with HR? Does that responsibility lie with the sales leader?
0: I think it's a C-level responsibility, that, isn't it?
1: Because, you know, particularly in smaller businesses, and we've been there ourselves, salespeople become important to a level that is horrible.
0: Yeah, sometimes salespeople are the most important people and use that and use that power. So if they leave, it's a disaster. Interestingly, I got briefed by a client yesterday who, when they briefed me prior to Christmas, uh, he had five salespeople, three vacancies, just completely out of the blue. He put a call in my calendar yesterday, and I met him yesterday afternoon. Uh, he's now got two people resigned, so he's got three salespeople and five vacancies. Wow. Now I said to him, yesterday I said, "Sure, you must have known that that was coming." He said there was just something in my water that said it was coming. But now, wh- where's he at that guy? He's, he's got three out of eight sales heads full. What's going to happen to his turnover this year?, well, It's going to tank quite clearly.
1: Yeah, he's a man under a lot of pressure, isn't and
0: he? And he's the business owner, this guy. Right. You know, what pressure is in under now? It's just a mad pressure, and he'll make a stupid hire, I think. Not via me, he won't, but he will make a stupid hire. Snatchy hires. Yeah, very much so. But in your book, you've broken down the cost of using, you know, average days and basic salaries and stuff. I think that's all very relevant. And that, you know, going back to that guy that's recruited somebody uh, who started yesterday, the average target there is about £2 million you know, that's 160 grand a month.
1: It's bonkers, isn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's bonkers when you think about it. It's 160,000 pounds. If, you, if it takes you six months to hire somebody, it costs you well over three quarters of a million pounds.
0: Well, it take, if it's two million pounds target, it costs you a million pounds, doesn't it? Because it's half, yeah. half of two million. Simple but, maths. But yeah, but actually, you know, what is that million pounds of a sales manager? What's his commission on that? Three percent, something like that? So it's actually costing 30 grand?
1: Yeah. Mm. Absolutely.
0: So you put her action items, keeping score. Uh, what's interesting is, you know, at the end of the year, so we're at the start of the year, at the end of the year, you know, clearly we look at our KPIs in terms of right from the very start, you know, how many prospects do we need to get, how many leads, to get how many candidates, to get how many interviews, and out of those interviews, how many the placements. When I go through that with clients, they just don't, It's it's like, I've told them about something completely new. It's like they've never heard of the internet and I've explained it to them. And and it just surprised me, even the very, very good companies, they just don't know that. They don't know how many interviews they have got to do
1: to get a hire.
0: And as you've said here, keep score. They need to keep score.
1: I find very few companies keep score. I think that we're in a really interesting era of selling and very few companies keep score of much. And what I mean by that is I think if we did a straw poll today about key performance indicators, that the real KPIs, I don't think many companies maintain them at all because it's so hard to hire people in general and it's so hard to hire salespeople of any talent. If you turn around to a salesman in an interview tomorrow and said, yeah, I'm looking forward to you coming. By the way, there'll be certain key performance indicators that we'll maintain to ensure we know that you're doing a decent job. Can't the candidate just walk?
0: Yes, I agree. A lot of candidates would turn that down because they would see that as being childlike.
1: Yeah. What do you think I am? 23? I'm a bit long in the tooth for that. And so the sailors have taken over the ship and the captains have been told to be quiet. And so Key performance indicators. People don't measure shit as much. I don't think
0: in most cases. However, and we're getting into the job brief here a bit that, that you're talking about. However, yeah. I really think that the best clients hire candidates to whom the role is an upward move. So you know, you see it all over. Oh, I, I, I sell low code. I want a low code guy. I sell AI. I want an AI guy. I sell cloud. I want a cloud guy. Yeah, that's the wrong strategy. That whereas if you sell low code and you get some, you know, some seller who's sold BPM technology, actually that's an upward career move, it's a, and it's a good one. Yes. So if people are making an upward career move, they are more likely to toe the line of the company. And a lot of the problems that the companies face in terms of recruitment isn't the fact that there aren't any candidates out there. That's just a lie that the recruiters tell the clients because they're not strong enough to say to the clients, there is going to be a shortage of candidates who want to make a sideways move. Actually, there is always going to be more candidates that you can handle if the clients will look at candidates to whom there's an upward move. And actually, that does come back to your job brief, and I'm looking at page 41 now. Write the job spec and look at your needs. Yep. That's the important thing. You know, why, if I sell low-code, do I have to get somebody who works for a low-code company? Why do I have to do that?
1: Because you don't think about you hiring before you hire.
0: Because you don't think about your brief as
1: well. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you go to page 43...
0: I'm on it now. Have we undertaken a detailed analysis of existing key performers within the team of business? What do they actually do? What do they do?
1: Uh, You know, I was talking to a sales guy the other day, and again, it'd be interesting to take a poll, particularly we've had two years now of the COVID-19 pandemic, haven't we? It's all a bit boring, if you ask me. But what it has meant is a lot of people are now remote. So how often are sales leaders going on sales calls and sales meetings with their team?
0: I don't know, because it's loads easier. It's
1: easier, yeah. Miles easier. And you can record it. Yeah, but uh, what what you have got now is people aren't in offices. So, you know, in the old days, a large proportion of companies were office-based. And you could see what the good performers did. You could see it and smell it on them, couldn't you? Mm -hmm. He's a top boy. Oh, look, he appears to have got here before everyone else today. He's a top guy. or she's a top girl. Oh oh, look, look, crikey, it's Monday morning and she's on her phone. Hmm. Those bits of success leave clues, don't they? Mm. It's a lot harder to see the clues now, I think. Particularly, you know, we've had two, two years of not being able to see the clues.
0: I don't agree with that, actually. I think it's just different. <laughs> yeah, or do the
1: clues just present themselves differently now?
0: It's just different, isn't it? Can I, as a sales manager, if I manage a team of five and I wanted to go out on an appointment with my team of five, One appointment a week, that was five days for me. I was out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I can do all of those in a day now. Yeah, correct. I could do all of them in a day. And actually the rest of them, I could record the meetings that they had with their clients and I could just listen to them as I was cutting my grass or doing something else or whatever. The the whole home working thing, people are missing an opportunity here. It's so much easier to gain a, uh, a view of what good looks like and then recruit to
1: what good looks like and we also have technology like Gong, which does analysis of what people have been saying in calls. That's what I mean. So much easier. It's just, but, but getting back to how
0: does that help you interviewing? You know, the best performers in the best companies, are they the best performers because they know the most about the technology? Well, of course, there's a bias. Well, I'd be surprised if they were. I think they're probably the best sellers because actually of the actions that they take. And can you interview against those actions? Cush can. But you've got to write a good job brief.
1: Yeah. So there's some real golden stuff in there. I'm concerned, Mike, that we're on page 43 and we've been talking for ages. I know, it's boring, isn't it? (laughs) So uh, what I'm really talking about here is analysing your key performers and the job and actually asking yourself, why is Bill so great? What does he do? And then replicating that in your job brief. That's the headline. I've gone a lot deeper into thinking about that over those pages. And for those people who actually read the book, there's that I say it myself. Some useful stuff in there about what the people do, how do they do it, what does a typical week look like for him? Get in really granular detail on what is it that makes that top performer in this business so great, and then being able to subtract from that a little bit of the company effect. You know, it could be that your top performer in the business has got the best patch, the best clients, the best leads. So you've got to take a bit of that away. But I, I think really great hiring starts with, who is this guy? Who is this girl? She's brilliant. Why? What is it she does? Now, what most hiring managers do is they have a quick, oh, she's great. Cause she's always on the phone. Are you sure that's why she's great? Why is she was on the phone. She always on the phone. Cause actually she seems to have more time to get on the phone. Why does she have more time to get on the phone? What does she do when she's on it? Yeah. Who's she phoning? Yeah. And it's that ability to go granular that makes for great sales hiring. And what it also makes for is larger candidate pools.
0: That's what I've been talking about, yeah.
1: Yeah. It makes for much bigger candidate pools. You're swimming in a bigger candidate ocean because all of a sudden you're hiring for skills, not, oh, I've got to have a guy who's worked for one of my direct competitors because I'm lazy and I can't be asked coaching and developing somebody.
0: Yeah, so I had the same conversation yesterday with these guys that have gone from five to three and have now got five vacancies. He gave me a brief pre Christmas. Um, I said I won't fill that job with the brief that you've given me. Right. I haven't filled the job with the brief that he's given me. Right. He said, "What should I do?" And I pretty much just said what well, we've been talking about. Yeah. And it's interesting. I, I met there was him and I met his sales leader, and I, and I knew his sales leader. And the minute I saw him, he said, "I know you, Mike. I met you in 2005." I went, all right, fair enough.
1: Fair play. Did you remember it? I know what you're like. What's that? Well, you, you tend to forget people that don't either a spend money with you, b engage with you.
0: Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm very prejudiced against bad salespeople. I don't like them. Yeah.
1: I have no interest in them. Yeah, I I, I discriminate heavily against bad salespeople.
0: Yeah, me too. But interesting. <laughs> I met this guy. Oh, you got Bill and Ben. Bill's company owner. Ben is the salesperson. I said to Bill, so it's interesting you've done this because I looked at Ben's background before we've met that is not the brief that you gave me. He went, yeah, it is. Oh no, it's not. Let's bring up his profile and compare it to your brief.
1: I like to do that as well.
0: You know, and they talk about, and it's interesting, isn't it? If, if you ever get into a lose analysis where, you, you know, you get involved with a client, they hire somebody not through you, and you look at it and think, that is just not the brief that you gave me that. And why is it not the brief that you gave me? It's actually because you didn't know what your brief was.
1: Most people don't. Mm. And the, the thing is, what we're talking about here in the book is it's hard work. It's not. It's hard work to do on top of... Well, it's the it's the old Dave Shields thing, isn't it? Actually, hard work is doing this.
0: It's not. I do know David Covey has a better example. You know, if you're going to cut down a tree, what do you do? You sharpen the axe. Correct. All our clients are hacking away at trees with blunt axes. Spend a bit of time sharpen your axe.
1: Category B activity, yeah. isn't it? This?
0: You've got a beauty here on page 72. Write it up into a job spec. Oh, my word. I can't ever... I don't think... Maybe Justin Moore is the only person... Justin Bull of EQ2, a cracking fella. He's probably the only person who can write a decent job brief out of all the ones I've ever seen in 22 years. The job briefs are appalling. Uh,
1: Yeah. They're just terrible. No use at all. Every job spec we get is absolutely worthless.
0: With the clients that I know well now, they'll go, oh, I've got another brief, Mike. Do you want the job brief? I'll go now. Me too. I said, I don't want it. And they go, "What? what? Because
1: they just write rubbish.
0: Now, a lot of it is they've got to get it signed off internally so that they can do some recruitment. And I think they go, oh, no, it's five past seven on a Tuesday night. My tea's on the table. Oh, God, I've got to write a job spec to put it on the ATS. Yeah, done, clone, copy, bank, yeah, good, five minutes. And then they go, Mike, do you want the job brief? I go, no. Why would I? Clients don't write good job briefs today. They just don't write good ones, ever.
1: No, and you can always tell the ones that have been written by HR and not by the sales leader.
0: Well, my daughter could write one. Dynamic, team player, motivated. And,
1: and what surprises me often, Mike, is that often you get somewhere you think, all oh, right, it actually breaks down some core competencies here and skills. Justin's is excellent like that. But often the core competencies and skills are ill conceived. Justin's aren't. So they'll put core competency as must have a top track record in IT sales. Well, that's not a competency. Do you know what I mean? It's not a competency.
0: I see it all the time. Here's an interesting point about geography. You know, you you make the point that a significant portion of the customer base is situated in London. Yeah. And actually, most of the IT industry, I don't know how much, sort of seven-eighths of it, something like that, is is south of Birmingham. you obviously got anomalies with Manchester and stuff like that, but a lot of the IT industry is south of Birmingham, around the southwest and in the city, and a lot of the clients are there. I think when uh, clients can open up and say, actually, I'll look at somebody based anywhere in the UK.
1: Making the pool bigger.
0: Makes the pool bigger immediately, yeah. Makes the pool bigger. And cheaper. Yeah, cheaper. Guys in the north, cheaper than guys in the south. 100% that's the case. I know there'd be some, there'd be some people living in Manchester whining about how they earn half a million pounds a year. But if you took a weighted average, the guys in the south earn more than the people in the north as, as salesmen. And you get
1: more salesmen for your money outside of London. So not only the cheaper, but you get more for your money. Mm, well,
0: t- two things are the same, aren't they? Yeah. It's interesting. I placed a guy who lived in Wales years ago, uh, a very interesting fella, ex-policeman, ex-detective in the police, and a salesperson. I can't what the client paid for him now, but it was like 30% less than they were going to pay for uh, in London. And I mean, they just got a, just a truckload more seller. Where was he based? Wales, did you say? Wales, somewhere like literally in the valleys, properly in the middle of nowhere. But interestingly, my favourite client or one of my favourite clients, my lady that I absolutely bang on about has been one of the best people I've ever met, she will only look at people in London. Full stop, that's it. Yeah. And she'll actually hire a worse seller in London because she wants them in London. And I say to her, you know, you're not actually getting as good a person. She said, I don't care. I want them in London. I want to know what they're doing.
1: Tangentially, Michael, I think there's going to be an enormous anti-homeworking backlash in the next year. Oh, I don't. <laughs> no chance at all. But we'll see. I think that people... Who was I talking to the other day? The candidate who I'm working with. You
0: say his name on the podcast as a live candidate.
1: (laughs) A funny story, actually. I introduced him to the client, and the client was so excited about him that before I could arrange the interview, the client had rung him and interviewed him. Cool. Before I found out. And that they've already had an interview, and they've already agreed a second interview. Anyway, he absolutely cannot stand and not meeting his clients face-to-face. And what I'm finding is a lot of other people are, and I think there's going to be an interesting – I think when, it, when we really start to get clear come the summer, I think the cities are going to be busy. People are going to just want to go to London. They're going to want to get on the train. And I think there's going to be a lot more getting into the office.
0: We're talking from personal viewpoints, actually, I think, because me personally, that's not going to happen. I'm not –
1: Because you're a very efficient home worker. You get more done at home.
0: But I think a lot of people are like that. Uh, But anyway, we're getting off the book.
1: Absolutely, we are. We're on a tangent. So what, what I've done here over the pages is I've broken down some really key criteria. And you can see, Mike, you're on page 78. What we've broken it down is into competencies. And then to actually look at the competencies and to prioritize them, A, B, C. What's your highest priority? What's your highest priority competency, Mr. Client? Very few people really know that. And so so there's a lot of exercises that they can go through here where effectively what they get is a job spec in order of priority. Fair enough. It brings it into different elements. And you can see that. I I mean, it might be useful. We'll bring up some visuals, stick them online or something at some point. And you've got this rating scale where you can literally say, what is the most important thing we're looking for? The most important skill. Not the most important cv career background but the most important skill and it orders the skills in a list of priority so what i'm saying in the book is if you do a job of understanding who your top performers are and what they do you can then create a job spec that reflects that which then makes your opportunity pool infinitely larger and probably cheaper all making sense
0: yeah i mean i agree with it johnny you know what i talk to my clients about yeah. Uh, is v- very similar to this, which is I take down all the different pieces that are important, very similar to yours actually. Yeah. And I create a weighted basket in an Excel spreadsheet. Yep. Yeah. And I say interview against that, score them out of 10 or whatever number and then get you the second interview, get everybody in the organisation to do it. Because if you're going to do it like this, which I do think is 100% the right way of doing there it. There has to be homogeneity across the business. Has to be done at an organised wide level. Yeah, I agree. Has to be done at an organised wide level. So
1: what you then come up with as an interviewer is a list of questions to ask in an interview.
0: I think you've got to be careful with that, though.
1: Yes, and I do caveat that quite deeply later on in the book.
0: So I have a client called uh, Edward, and he is called Edward, actually, who is one of the most disarming men you've ever met in your life. Yeah. Literally, every time you speak to him, you're just having a really nice chat. Absolutely lovely chat. He's like that with the candidates. He just sort of talks around stuff, never direct at all. Uh, His interview feedback is absolutely razor. And when I say razor, uh, the candidates will say, yeah, we had a nice chat about this, that, and what I've done. And he'll go, yeah, I'm a bit worried about this one, Mike, uh, because he stayed in the same company for seven years. Uh, We were talking about um, why he's been there for so long, and he said something about playing golf. And then I thought, all right, so he plays golf. Uh, and what I've decided is that he stayed at that company for seven years because uh, he, he likes playing golf and he can get the golf course easily. And then when he's had his first daughter, he's realized he can't play as much golf. So now he's not playing as much golf, therefore he's looking for a job. <laughs> and I thought, right, you have nailed that. <laughs> like, <laughs> And, and to the point being, to all your questions, he doesn't ask them as a competency in your framework, but actually what he is thinking about is, have I answered that? Have I answered that? Have I answered that? You've put wit, uh, I presume it's wit, W-I-T, in the document yeah. uh, in terms of you know, h- how witty and charismatic they are. That's an easy one to glean, isn't it? That's just easy. You can
1: just generally pick that up. Well, you should do that as part of your rapport building. That should just be, you know, if that's a criteria, when we were hiring a specific type of recruiter, wit was important to us, wasn't it? It still is for me with the candidates. A witty person will always beat a less witty person.
0: It's that, but it's also about engagement, isn't it? Because at some point they're going to sit opposite your client on a video call or face-to-face, and they don't have to be like a a court jester, but they've just got to be able to say something that's pleasant enough to get into a conversation like they would do with a client.
1: Yeah, nobody wants a sycophantic, fawning court jester in front of them as an interviewee, but invariably you'll usually find the top salespeople, even if they can be quite dour, have dry wit,
0: that's pleasant, aren't they, is the, is the key. But getting back to you know, your, your book, it's about taking those criteria and somehow weaving them into yeah. a, a, an easy conversation. Of course. Because let's get it right. No candidate wants to sit there and think they've been drilled off a script.
1: No, and I talk a lot about that later on in the book about the interview. But having that script, having those competencies, I can tell you now, if I've got two clients, one actually has really sat down and thought about it One hasn't. Client B, the one that's thought about it, they will hire better. They just will.
0: No doubt about it.
1: They'll hire better. They'll hire more obliquely. They'll hire from a bigger candidate pool. They'll hire more cheaply and they'll hire more successfully because they're hiring for skill.
0: I placed a guy who started in December who uh, had sold energy consulting and didn't even sell IT
1: But that's good hiring from your client, Mike.
0: Client phoned me two weeks after, said he's one of the best people I've ever hired. But they've hired for skill. Yeah. They hired for skill. Yeah. I said, what do you like about him? He said, he's bright, intelligent. He wants to be here. He's very, very quickly figured out that actually what we sell is fairly similar to our competitors, but he sold energy consulting. That's exactly what he was doing. Yeah. He sold to businesses. We've got him selling to retail. He sold to retail anyway. And actually he's really keen to be here and he's an intelligent guy.
1: Yeah. Perfect. Next chapter, page 85, your employer value proposition.
0: Do you think clients know what their EVP is? I don't.
1: No. It's interesting. I'm doing some work with a client at the moment in um, the US, and they're starting up in the US. They're a pretty small business in the UK, and they're starting up in the US by investing in other business in the US, and they want somebody to come and join them. And I thought, Jesus, this is a weak value proposition. It's going to be hard to fill this job. So what I actually did was I got the founding members of the business and I've created a series of interviews with them where I've interviewed them about what makes the job great and we've used that as part of the promotion of the job. It's made the job cast 25 minutes long as the part B. But what we did find was the candidates that watched it all came back and were like, yeah, I'm really up for this. And it qualified a few out. Actually, we've got some good candidates first time around. But most clients haven't a clue why somebody would join their company. And the main thing that they think is leverage is you should join our company because we've got a good product, or we've got a good solution, or we're a Gartner Magic Quadrant vendor. Now, what was interesting was I played golf with a guy on Sunday, a very nice chap. We had a lovely nine holes of golf and a great Natter. And he works for a major global enterprise software vendor. And what was fascinating was actually they really, really, really know what their employer value proposition is. And what is it? They, they have an epic attention to pastoral care for the people that work there in sales. Right. This is something you and I didn't know. I didn't know until Sunday, but as we got around the nine holes of the golf course, I was stunned because he articulated so clearly why a salesperson would work there. Fair play. One, they have a very market-leading product. Two, they're a big global brand. So the brand is powerful. But he said, three, their attention to detail with employees was very palpable. And he gave me several case studies. Gave me one case study of a guy who'd fallen out with his girlfriend. The girlfriend had been mean and turfed him out of the flat. He was living at home with his mum, and the company told the guy to take four months off to get himself sorted on 80% of his OTE.
0: Benefit of having lots of cash.
1: That's benefit of being a cash rich company, but that stuff sticks as part of your employer value proposition, doesn't it? You get three months paid paternity leave at 80% of your OTE. That's nuts, isn't
0: it? But like I say, let's get back into the real world. It's easy if you're a magic company with loads of cash.
1: Correct. If you're a NASDAQ leading company.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you're a normal company. So to give you an example of this client, we spoke about it you know, a few times now
1: things to build as a normal company.
0: Yeah, they are. What, pay 80% of your OT for three months? Massively difficult.
1: No, but there are things that can be done that make you a good employer, that make you a company that's worth working for, that you don't cost shitloads of cash.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, the more practical things. Yes. I think 95% of companies in the UK, uh, and I'm excluding all the big mega companies that have got you know loads of VC and stuff like that, they can't afford to do that. They can't go, oh, it's all right, we'll pay 80% of your OT for uh, three months. You know, you look at this client that you're on about in the States, they recruit somebody, uh, that person's there, all of a sudden the woman splits up with a boyfriend, are they going to turn around and go, i tell you what, just take four months off, all good. They're not going to do that, are they? It's all gravy. They're not going to do that. No. Never in a million years. But getting back to your EVP, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's obviously
1: an exceptional one. Let's hope nobody works out with that is what's what's interesting is it's about splitting people don't realize you've got a value proposition for your business that you take to your clients there's a reason why your customers buy off you but there is also a reason why employers employees come and work in your company and the two are not one and the same but they are both value propositions that the top companies the ones that grow at a rapid rate they're both equally as well crafted i think yeah, we've got a client that have got a lot of money. Actually, they're finding it really hard to sell that job. They haven't quite got the value proposition right.
0: I'll tell you why they're finding it hard to sell that job, though. This is a previous chapter. It's because... Yes, it is. It's because their job brief is wrong.
1: Correct. And they're not quite hiring for skill. If they widen their job brief
0: and appeal to, I don't know, a slightly different cohort of prospects, they'd fill all their vacancies in a month.
1: Yeah, because the value proposition is quite sexy by nature of how it's tied to the company's growth trajectory and curve. Because
0: what the value proposition needs to be is appealing to the cohort to which you're going after. Because what that client that you're on about is doing is they're going, yeah, we're Series C, uh, we've got some really cool clients, uh, everybody gets stock. There's loads of those. You're just competing against other companies that say the same thing. You and everyone else. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you got, you got a few tens of millions in Series C, do you? Well, I've got another client that got 200.
1: Yeah, yeah. Th- that is not a differentiator. People
0: get eight grand of stock, do they? This other client just gives off 50 straight off.
1: I was reading in the FT at the weekend, Adres and Horowitz have just got another multi-billion dollar fund for rapid growth in the tech sector. There is still, irrespective of what's happening with the Fed and the withdrawing of cash and the lowering of monetary policy, there are billions and billions of dollars knocking around in VC money for, that's going to float around for the next year and a half, two years, and there will be billions of deals done, and there will be thousands of companies that will go, yeah, we're series A, and we've got 15 million, thousands of them, mate, thousands. And then when we've done with the tech sector, then there's going to be the green sector. Everybody's got that. I break this down into different bits. So can you see the triangle on page 87? Uh, yep. So what you've got is different parts of your value proposition. In the middle, you've got what I call the soft bits, leadership, values, mission, corporate, social responsibility. Then around it, you've got culture, reward, and recognition. You've got employer factors like working environment training. And then at the top of it, you've got your customer value proposition, which what most companies do is they just sell the top bit. Why should I come and work for you? Well, we've got the best product in the market. But like Mike just said, every employer's got the best product in the market. Every employer's got 20 million pounds worth of venture capital funding. Every employer's offering stock. The real question is, why should somebody come and work for you? And there's a a few exercises in here that will really help somebody, if they've never thought of that, work through those elements. So I'm I'm going to fast forward a little bit here now, Mike, because it's a a lengthy chapter that digs deep. Okay. And we get to page 100, which is, what should we pay? What should clients pay salespeople, Mike?
0: That's a long chapter, isn't it? Um, so, I mean, there's just so many answers to that, really. The, you, you've got the maths that you've referred to, the 10 times rule of thumb. I mean, I've been through this a million and one times with a million and one people, really. But broadly speaking, uh, you should think about what your target is and pay people a proportion of that. Generally speaking, with the sort of 70 through hundred k basics, they're normally one and a half to 2 million, and people are earning 10% of it. Um, But, but I think in the past two, three years, there's become a bit of a void between 50 and 80K. A void? Yeah, just a void of salespeople. I just don't think you see many salespeople now on sort of 65. And that 65 is a middle territory. So, what, you know, there's upward pressure on basic salaries. And actually, what clients will do, I think, is pay up to 60 and just be really open as to what they look for. Just what a decent person that's got the right sort of stuff and then they pay 80 plus and then they're very specific and actually when they're very specific if i'm going to pay you 80 because you've given me a hard time well actually who cares what a target is i may as well make it two and a half three million but getting back to your book i agree completely with what's in there
1: so the client's paying below market rate and they know they are what do they do
0: you know what they do johnny they lower their requirement end of full stop and they lower their requirement in terms of... So, so let's take the energy guy as an example. If you said to the, the utilities guy that I placed, if you said to the utilities guy, right, this client is paying less than anybody else, but you can get into the IT market, would he have taken that job? Yeah. Would he have been right to take that job? Yeah. But don't pay less and still ask for the same.
1: I think that's such a good bit of recruitment by your client, that the guy who sold to the energy market.
0: A brilliant recruitment, isn't
1: it? Yeah. Because that guy's
0: killing himself to learn and earn. And he's a really bright, intelligent guy. He'll be one of the top performers in that business, no doubt about it.
1: Yeah, because they've cut the cloth so well accordingly.
0: But what did they have to do? Uh, they just opened their brief a little bit. They just open their brief because they weren't quite paid enough.
1: Open brief, think laterally.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what they did.
1: What did I write 250 pages for? All it should have just said is open your brief, think laterally. Yes, maybe I'll write a, a competitive <laughs> book.
0: <laughs> and put it
1: on Amazon. <laughs> Two pages. Open your brief. Think laterally.
0: But the whole thing about uh, package is very interesting. So this client that have now got five vacancies. What are you going to pay? Well, we'll we'll just pay them a little bit more than they're on with their competitor. All right. So you want somebody who works in a competitive market. You're going to pay them a little bit more basic salary, but it's a new business sales role, and that salesperson has got to walk away from their pipeline that they know that they're going to close to not close anything with you for six months, and they're going to drop their. Commissionable element by 50%. Why would they do that? Why would they do it? Amazing. No salesperson's going to do that. Well, no good one anyway.
1: No, they don't. And then on page 109, where the good hiring managers should get to is they should have an elevator pitch around their EVP. And I've made the point here, prepare an elevator pitch around your EVP and practice it until you sound incredibly certain and well-rehearsed. And that should form a part of the start of a good interview your pitch to them, your sale to them. You shouldn't really be interviewing a candidate until they've bought the job. Then you get to ask them whatever you want. Then you can actually go a shitload deeper, particularly with the ones that perhaps aren't as lateral, perhaps the ones that do work for a competitor. An interview, if you've got a candidate that wants to work there, you can ask them all sorts of stuff. You've got a candidate that's not sure, it's a lot harder to go deep because the candidates can sit there going, why am I going to work here? Now all of a sudden you're really digging into me.
0: I do agree with you, but we did miss something earlier on that you made reference to, which is case studies of new hires. Yeah. I think a lot of it is about uh, the candidate salivating to have an interview with the client. Correct. Because then at that point...
1: They should want to be in the interview before they've even got to the interview. Yeah,
0: they shouldn't be deigning to turn up.
1: No. No. Well, I talk a bit on page 111 about uh, video and the use of video. I'm
0: on it. We're going to talk about video. We're going to talk about video.
1: Do you know, Mike, uh, f- for my sins, my father dragged me into Freemasonry a while ago. And um, I-, I do enjoy my Freemasonry when I go. Um, it's always hard work sort of getting me there, but I do enjoy it when I'm there. I've met some very nice friends and stuff, and you know what an antisocial bastard I am. It sort of makes me be social. But unfortunately, Freemasonry's had a rough couple of years during the pandemic, and we're really struggling to recruit younger Masons now. There's a couple of lodges that are good at it. And there was a video yesterday that's gone onto YouTube that was created by the province of West Riding in Yorkshire, which is our area. It is brilliant. If, if you were even remotely looking for something interesting in your life and you saw that video, you'd apply to become a Mason. Right, cool. But that's the clever use of video. <laughs> where they've really got into what it means, what's great about it. They've got young guys in their 20s talking about, oh, yeah, I thought it was going to be a bit ridiculous, you know, rolling your trouser sleeve up and all that. Actually, I've made loads of friends and we go out on the source and we have a really good laugh, and then we do really good stuff for charity, and it's fun. And I've met loads of really interesting, nice people over and over and over and over. And they've just nailed it. They've nailed the value proposition to the market they want to go at. They've obviously paid an agency. They've obviously spent some money and they've obviously understood what the customer is buying.
0: Fair play. Sounds
1: good. Very few clients have a video about, now your client that's very good at recruiting and thinks laterally, they've got a really good recruitment video.
0: It's a brilliant video, isn't it? Yeah. But you know what they've also got is when I send a candidate uh, information that has detail about the client and I say, this is the client, blah, 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 in the video from me, They've got two interviews of new starters. It's been brilliant here. I've really enjoyed it. Yep. This is what I've learned. This is what the team's like. Then they've got another video. They're very inclusive, this company, like really inclusive about how inclusive they are and stuff. And then actually, do you know what? When you walk through the door and you meet the people there, the people actually are like what they're like in the video. It's not just a made up load of old rubbish to get somebody through the door, then rip them off. Yep. They've got it right. They really have. Uh, yep. Interested about social media pages. Um, Go on. Well, you know, we're recruiters and I don't
1: use Twitter. I don't use Twitter at all. I hate Twitter. I think it's a vile cesspool.
0: I don't know if it's a vile cesspool. I just don't use it, so I don't have an opinion on it. It's vile. But um, I do wonder whether we're missing a trick, and I wonder whether the employers are as well, actually.
1: It's an interesting one because our audience – I did a, a LinkedIn poll a while ago, on who uses Twitter, actually about 40-something percent of them said, and it was a big sample, it was about 600 people responded, about 40% said they do actually use Twitter. What was interesting was a lot of them said they use Twitter just to lurk. Right. So they lurk and follow their favourite people, but they don't post that much.
0: Right. Fair
1: play. So could we use Twitter? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, the one that's not on the list, obviously, and I suspect it's because when you wrote the book... You know, it's been a work in progress, is Instagram. And TikTok. Yeah, TikTok, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: TikTok, mate. I noticed that the lad that I play golf with on Sunday, he uses TikTok.
0: And he would be a perfect candidate for us.
1: Oh, yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I noticed on his Instagram post, he posted something on Instagram that had originally been recorded on TikTok on Sunday night. It was funny. It made me laugh, actually. I was like, oh, that's funny. But it was like a little funny, silly TikTok video.
0: That's cool. Right, the next part is starting the recruitment campaign. Are we doing that now or or is that to be for another day?
1: I think we should pile through a little bit further because we're going to wrap this book up next week. Okay, then. So the point we're making about starting the recruitment campaign, I've written here, no tab NA, design and agree the process at the point at which you least need to. The day when you least need to hire somebody is the day when you should be designing your recruitment process.
0: Well, you're going to make less mistakes, aren't you? Because you're under less pressure.
1: It's a little bit like going to the supermarket when you're hungry. I agree completely, yeah. Everybody knows you never go to the supermarket on an empty stomach, unless you mic Mike Price with a will of iron. Do
0: you know what's in my office, actually? You see, there's a sofa behind me. Yeah. There's like this storage bit underneath it. In there is all of our Christmas chocolate. And they've got bloody loads of it. And my wife's been saying, Mike, how haven't you eaten any of the chocolate? Well, it's not Christmas. Correct, Johnny. It's not the weekend.
1: It's not Christmas, and it's not the weekend.
0: Then you've gone working with recruiters and selecting recruitment partners.
1: Yeah, so this is interesting, isn't it?
0: Well, I mean, how random is that? Clients just, they don't select recruitment partners. What actually happens is loads of the recruiters just fire out some CVs and some of the mud sticks, and then they're a client. Unbelievable. So the client in the Northwest, actually, I was talking to one of their main people, and he said to me, Mike, have you ever heard of this recruitment company? I said, yeah, yeah. And he said, they keep sending me CVs. I said, are the CVs any good? He went, no. I said, why don't you tell them then? He went, I just can't bother to reply. And I said, well, how's that helping them? He said, it's not, but how are they helping me? And I said to him, how many CVs do you get a day? He's chief exec. He said, how many CVs do you get a day? He said, I don't know, probably 50. What, from 50 different recruiters? Yeah, about 50. Wow. But actually, that's the recruitment market bludgeoning clients into using them. And to be clear, you know, there's a a company in Leeds. I don't know whether there's a rumour or not, but or whether it was true. It could be true because the guy that owns it is very wealthy. Uh, They were the biggest single site uh, recruitment business in Europe. Their model is designed on sending out CVs. He drives Lamborghinis. He's got 17, evidently.
1: He's got 17 Lambos.
0: Yeah. And actually, what has he got? He's got kids with email. Full stop. That's their recruitment model. Well,
1: I think you were explaining the other day, I think they have about 20 consultants and about 150 sports staff.
0: 60 consultants, yeah, and 150 sports staff.
1: Unbelievable. And the sports staff, all they're there to do is to maintain mass email marketing of CVs.
0: Yeah, correct. So how did you select your recruitment partner, Massive Company X? Oh, this guy sent me a CV.
1: Oh, good. Great it's amazing how many times you speak to a client and they don't know which recruiter they got a candidate from because actually it was just a CV that landed on the desk with a set of terms. Yeah.
0: But I think you're right when you talk about it. There are different types of, of you cover it, you know, different types of sales recruiters, CV resellers, the stuffed shirt, the recruiter. Now, what's interesting is there's a very big recruiter out there who will obviously sue me if I say the name. But I was talking to another guy I know in recruitment and I said, what's the score with these guys? How do they win? He said, tell you how they win. They just make every single client feel like they're the most special thing on the planet. And evidently, when you go into their head office, there's a marble table that is made out of the same marble that they made Nelson Mandela's tombstone out of. <laughs> I said, is this true? He went, I think it's true. He said, or, or else it's such a good rumor. He said, I've seen the table. He said, literally, you sit there and you think, oh my God, I'm being queened. No, actually, are they any good at recruitment? Who knows? <laughs>
1: None of the people that use them seem to like them. It's a killer combo if they are. Yeah, but they just fell for the pump, didn't they? You know, I... I... Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people do. They fall, they fall for this pump and they, they fall for the, the oak panel. It, 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 metaphorically, they fall for the oak panel. Yes, they do. The oak panelled walls. And what I've gone into in the book here is stuff to help a client. You know, I've been very neutral about it. I haven't said, best way to slate to is to work with Johnny Graham and Mike Price. What I've said is, Questions you should be asking the, the recruiters. Have you interviewed the candidate? Simple. You'd be amazed how many haven't.
0: I think most haven't. So going back through, you know, the, uh, the recruitment bit, there are lots and lots and lots of recruiters out there who get a CV, send it out a hundred times, which obviously is grossly against GDPR, wait for one client to bite. They find that client that bites. Then they phone the candidate and say, listen, this client, really, really interested in your background. Uh, loads of recruiters do that loads yeah.
1: yeah and so there's a, a there's a lot there on how to actually select a recruiter and then there's another chapter here on getting the best out of your recruiters yes actually getting the recruiters to perform for you what most people don't realize is people don't realize just how it works inside a recruitment company so the organized ones they have a priority of which job spec is the hottest and most important. That's if they're really well-organized, isn't it, Mike? Mm. Disorganized, the recruiters will just go with the client that sort of makes the most noise a little bit. And then what I've done is I've broken this down into terms, price. So the first thing is about terms and conditions. I've made a big point here. The more you beat your recruiters up on terms and conditions, the worse the service gets. They just don't tell you that.
0: Does that. You know me, Johnny. I just don't do it. And I'll quite happily say to somebody, yeah, I'm just not doing
1: it. Yeah, well, well, you and I have learned over the years, we just walk away. But most people won't walk away. They'll just let you beat them up on terms and conditions and make you a lower priority client.
0: Well, what's interesting is I've got a client at the minute. He's got loads of headcount, maybe five, six, seven vacancies, something like that. Um, and he said, listen, Mike, on the LinkedIn posts that you put out, none of the LinkedIn posts ever replicate my jobs, I don't think. And I said, no, that's because you're a category B client. (laughs) And he said, what do you mean? How did he take that? Well, I told him the truth. He said, what do you mean? He was a bit angry. I said, well, currently you pay X percent because you got your internal someone to beat the living daylights out of me. Whereas I've got another client that pay this percent. I like you equally. The jobs are fairly similar. So what happens is I work proactively on their job. They get first dibs on the candidate because I've sourced the candidate for them. If they then don't want to hire the candidate, then they come to you. He said, how does that work? I said, well, because they're paying for the service. You're not. Yeah. You know, you're actually, if you think about it, you're buying seconds. If you don't want seconds, well, then pay the right price. Pay first. To be fair, he's still a client. Yeah. And what's interesting is he is in charge of, I would think, probably 20 salespeople, a couple of managers, a few salespeople, that kind of thing. Who knows what his target is, 40, 50 million, something like that. I said to him, why don't you uh, put me in touch with such and such and I'll sort the terms out? He said, I can't, Mike. I'm not in charge of that. I said, who is? He said, the internal recruitment manager. I said, how's that going for you? He said, well, you know, don't you? I said, yeah. Isn't that mad? Yeah. Internal recruitment manager. He looks like a nice man. He was very big in retail, I think, uh, until he decided to become the recruitment manager for an IT uh, services company. And now he's beating all the recruiters up, me and everybody else, so that their sales director has to wait for seconds from the other companies. That's just mental, I think.
1: But everybody loves him internally because, hey, he's beating these recruiters up to a pulpit. Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, 10%, that's what we pay.
0: Well, he emailed me in the middle of last year and said, can we drop the price a little bit? I said, no, absolutely no chance at all. That was all I replied with. Whereas you go back to one of my favourite people, the lady that uh, I'm fond of, what does she do? She just pays.
1: She pays because she wants results. She pays because she wants results and she gets paid to get results.
0: I remember negotiating with her and she took me to a certain point. She said, what's that like for you? I said, that's just too low for me. I said, I'll do it at that price, but don't think I'm going to focus on your job briefs. I'm not. And she went, right, at what point will you focus on my job briefs? I said, there. She said, right, agreed. And you look at uh, Dean, Johnny, That you know, Dean Dickinson of Advanced, he's now out of the game. He was one of the people I did most work with. Dean and I had a very, very fair agreement on price. Yes. It was fair for both parties.
1: Yes. And the smart clients want to know if it works for you.
0: Yeah, they want you to be motivated, but yeah. they don't want to get the mickey taken out of them. I get it.
1: Yeah. They don't want you making too much profit and they don't want you making too little profit because yeah. that's how they want to work with their customers.
0: So rebate period, this is always a worry for me, rebate period.
1: Oh, yeah. People don't realise, yeah, we want a six-month rebate period.
0: Oh, right. Is that because you've got a massive staff turnover problem?
1: <laughs> Correct. You've got turnover problem and you actually, what I also know is your recruitment process is that shit that you don't know that you're actually going to get it right or not.
0: Yeah, 100%. Big rebate period, a problem.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And
0: and actually, on rebate period, it doesn't say it in here. It also says you don't take
1: responsibility for hiring. Yes. Yes. You've got it in here about free replacement. Unbelievable. People don't realise what happens.
0: Free replacement works for a recruiter. It does not work for the hiring company. It doesn't work for the recruiter. Yeah, it does. Why? I've got your money. You can't have it back. Yeah, but are you finding me a free replacement? Yeah, I'm on it. Yeah. Because actually, where's the SLA in the free replacement? There's no SLA in the free replacement. There's very little. Well, there isn't one. I've never seen an SLA with a free replacement. No. Oh, ah, are you finding me a free replacement? Yeah, 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 yeah. What's that noise in the background? Oh, it's not the golf course.
1: I thought you'd find me a free replacement. Yeah, I am. I'm just waiting for someone to ring me. Well, we know of an agency. Remember that agency where they used to do free replacements? If they did one, they had to do it on a Saturday. Yeah, yeah. You had to go into work on a Saturday to work on your free replacement rubbish wow rubbish don't yeah. do it if you're hiring at all so the next bit will stop here page 134 is you and your recruiter and the relationships with your recruiter and we'll whisk through that next week and um, michael all very interesting looking forward to seeing you next week
0: see you then